HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to Heritage Radio Network on Tour, broadcasting live from Feast Portland. I'm Michelle Batista from the Nightwood Society, and before we kick things off, we'd like to thank Travel Portland, Stream PDX, and the Julia Child Foundation for making our coverage of Feast possible. Right now, I'm joined by Jill Keeler. Um, Jill is the co-founder, uh, or sorry, the founder of um, Freeland Spirits, and for those of you who may or may not know, Freeland Spirits is a, um, a woman-owned, woman-run uh, distillery here in Portland, Oregon. She funded an Indiegogo campaign, uh, I can't remember how many months ago now, but it was gangbusters. Uh, it was amazing. We all watched on the edge of our seats. Um, and she's been rocking and rolling ever since. They just launched their space which opened up in Northwest Portland. And I got to say, Jill, uh, it's quite beautiful. Thank you. We did our staff party uh, for Nightwood there a couple of weeks ago and blown away. That's still the, the copper. I mean, it's She's incredible. Beautiful. She is beautiful. Does mm-hmm. she have a name? There's, there's, there's different um, theories going around. I'm glad I got permission ahead of time to throw out some F-bombs, but... Yeah, yeah. Personally, one one is one option. I, I, I'm from Texas, and um, my whole family's a fan of Lonesome Dove. And there's a horse named Hell Bitch. So, <laughs> so she's called Hell Bitch. You know, among some. <laughs> what are some other names that people Mima, Mima. So that's Freeland. your grandmother, right? Let's right, talk about right. that. Freeland Let's... Spirits is named after my grandma Freeland. Um, Mima never touched a drop of booze in her life, and now has a distillery named after her. Um, but I grew up in her garden and just really, she taught me all good things come from scratch and women can be anyone they want to be. Is she still alive? No, she's not. Oh, when did you lose her? Um, it was, let's see, almost 15 years ago. Um, yeah, she was, uh, I remember going to her 90th birthday party and she was starting to, you know, dementia was really setting in and she was, she was like, do you know how old you are? 90. 90? Like, total shock. So. Was she <laughs> single when she Yes, passed? yes. She sounds like a spitfire. Indeed. I know where you get it from now. <laughs> um, Jill and I are friends first, uh, but I feel like we've been living a little bit of parallel lives over the last couple of years. Um we don't see each other that much because we've both been busy building and launching like-minded businesses, raising money. 
um, building amazing communities of women. These are all my favorite things, but also no small tasks. So we sort of uh, hear of each other in the ether and follow along, but I don't get to have her in my presence as often as I would like. Um, but let's start from the beginning, Jill. So you were in your previous life before getting into the spirits game. You were the executive executive director of Zanger Farm. For anybody that lives on this side of the world, Zanger Farm is, uh, holds a special place in all of our hearts. It's an urban farm that focuses on community education, sustainable food systems, community, among other things. I think you did that for about six years, yeah? Yep. And then how did you transition from farming, essentially, to spirits? Well, it seems very obvious to me, but... <laughs> I can't wait to hear. <laughs> uh, farming is just really in my DNA. It's um, generations of my family. Um, and while I was at the farm, which was like the dreamiest job ever, um, often my friend Corey Carmen, who's a rancher in Willow County in eastern Oregon, would, um, whenever she would come to town, we'd drink whiskey together. Um, and she was, Corey was one of the first people I said, I think I want to start making this. And she's like, great, I'll grow the grain for you. And that's when it really, the idea re- really took hold and wouldn't let go, is really thinking of of spirits as an agricultural product. Um, and not only that, but a part of regenerative agriculture, of thinking of, you know, a, a huge part of regenerative agriculture are cover crops. And to think of like a winter rye, for example, as something that you know not only fixes fixes nitrogen in the soil and um, you know actually builds soil instead of, of sucking nutrients out of it, um, to think of of a, of a cover crop that could turn into like what I would consider the most <laughs> beautiful product in the world of rye whiskey and it's just like a really beautiful concept of something that is good for the soil and a delicious outcome as well. But you started with gin. But we started with gin, as as you're well aware, whiskey needs aging. Yes. Um, and and gin is so interesting. Um, so uh, when I when I found Molly, my my magical unicorn, um, we we got really excited about gin and all all the unique things we could do with it. Um, and and you know, one of our very first meetings, we were on a walk in Forest Park here, and in a very hushed t- tone, Molly said, "Have you heard of the Rotovap?" course I hadn't and it's a form of vacuum distillation and we were thinking of what would Mima's gin taste like <laughs> if if it you know if it she would drank be, gin if, if she drank <laughs> gin uh, it would need to be fresh it would need to be like what would come right out of Mima's garden and so the only way to use fresh ingredients is really with a vacuum still mm. because they, they would die during traditional heat distillation so this this vacuum essentially allows us to distill at a lower temperature so cucumber mint rosemary thyme and a secret ingredient are done through the vacuum still while 14 other botanicals are done through traditional heat distillation so what has come out is is a gin that we're we could not be m- more happy with and it's delicious and i feel like really represents our, our distillery and our yeah, values. Yeah, as a person that drinks a lot of your gin uh, and serves a lot of your gin, I think the thing for me when, and I'm very sensory oriented, so very flavor oriented, when I, when Freeland gin hits my palate, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is, um, it's very feminine. Hmm. I love and, that. And so when I talk to people about it or I'm trying to express it to someone that hasn't been exposed to it, that's always the first word I use rather than a, fl- you know, rather than a component, rather than um, an herb, um, is that it just tastes really feminine and very pretty. Mm-hmm. 
uh, but still like ballsy, right? Like, I mean, that's the thing. And then, so then when I try to talk about the juxtaposition of the flavor of Freeland, I'm like, well, it's so flowery and very beautiful and it's magical and it's feminine, but it, then it's like, it's really ballsy. Like it really hits your mouth in a way um, in the back of your tongue. That's like, it takes a position. No apologies. <laughs> no apologies. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And we've sort of, I think we've mastered, we're sort of mastering ways to mix it with other things. But truth be told, I just always straight. I don't know. Cube of ice. <laughs> right? That's all you need. Um, well, let's go back a little bit. I want to hear a little bit more about Molly Troop, who's your distiller. Um, I met her, lat- well, she came to a Kate Brown event at Nightwood, a strong supporter of Governor Kate Brown, uh, as we have been. And um, so I got to meet her there. And then I got to sit with her a little bit when I was out. And she's so charming and lovely and just the most magical human. Tell me how you met her. So I... Uh, after Corey and I had this conversation and I'm realizing you know, I'm, I'm going to actually do this. I, I knew I needed to find a distiller. I'm, you know, no science background. I'm more going to be on the business and marketing side. And so went on my quest to find the best distiller. And to me then it wasn't, it was, I wasn't necessarily in search of a female distiller. I was in search of the best. Mm-hmm. And I, I found her in, in Bend and Molly, Molly has a background in chemistry. Um, after school, then she went um, to Scotland and got her master's in distilling from Harriet Watt in Scotland and so became a real whiskey pro and came back and did just quality control work for a year at Hood River, meaning she just tasted whiskey mm-hmm. all day every day and really refined her palate and then went to run production at Oregon Spirits in Bend and that's where I found her. A friend introduced us and I threw her over my shoulder and brought her how to did, Portland. Yeah, how did you entice her to leave? <laughs> I lured her over a couple <laughs> of years. Jill, uh, my outstanding charm, Jill, Jill, Jill has, uh, she has power. <laughs> it's, that's a real thing. You know, actually, it was finally, I went out to Bend and I showed Molly a picture of the bottle that we were going to be using. Oh, and I think that bottle. really sealed the deal. She was like, oh, this, this gal's serious. Yeah. And, yeah. The blue bottle was a game changer. It's a game changer. It's it's uh the shape everything about it is beautiful you can't toss it right i I mean we're we're i just i have this feeling (laughs) that we're going to end up with walls of the freeland blue bottles there could be worse walls it's true yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, well then i want to talk a little bit more about Corey too because Corey, as you know is also um a dear friend of mine, a fourth generation cattle rancher, although I was out there a couple of weeks ago working, we're working on a regenerative, regenerative ag project together, which we should talk a little bit about because I'm not sure that everybody totally understands, but I would like to explain a little bit more about that. Um, but we were on the farm a couple of weeks ago. We spent two nights. I was with my team and she said something to me that really stuck with me. She said, Michelle, I'm not a, I'm not a cattle farmer. I'm a soil farmer. And I said, well, that's pretty profound to me to watch how they're growing those grasses and how they're moving cattle around. And I would like to know, like from a soil from, tell me about the soil and the grain work that you guys are working on. Well, yeah, I think it like Corey is, a, is has become a soil expert and you know, all of these things that make up regenerative agriculture, like cover cropping and crop rotation and pasture management is all techniques to, build soil um, and ultimately reverse trends of global warming even. Um, So 
really thinking of grain as a part of that. You know, Corey's new crop rotation now is beef, pork, and whiskey. <laughs> Perfect American diet. And also a great, a great tool for regenerative <laughs> agriculture. Um, but really thinking of, wow, what if, what if a lot of ranchers could take this on and incorporate small grain production and, and with breweries and distilleries and bakeries are all, are all supporting them. Um, it could be pretty revolutionary. Um, so that's something that Corey and I have, have talked a lot about. And, you know, our, the rye that goes into the still will be one of the first, but looking at other, other grains too, like triticale or kernza are really interesting grains that could also be, could also serve a lot of purposes. I cannot wait for what's next. It's such a tall order, but it's uh, regenerative ag is something that it's going to change. It's going to be the game changer. So I applaud you um, and what you guys are doing. Um, I know we don't have a lot of time yet. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about women, of course, um, as our parallel lives have, have both morphed here. We've both started businesses that are owned and run by women. Um, the, the only real question I have is, how you built that community and did you plan on it from the beginning? Tell me a little bit about it. When I went to the tasting room the other day, it was filled with beautiful women that just were such badasses. I mean, they really, they just owned the space, but they were hospitable and they were smart and they were active. Like they, they just, the way they moved through the space and worked with one another and then like held their own space and their attitudes were, it was amazing. It was mm. marvelous. I'm so glad that was your experience. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think when I was starting out with the distillery, it wasn't the intent to be all women owned and operated. Like I said, you know, I was looking for the best and I found Molly and then I was realizing the power that story could mm -hmm. have. And less than 1% of distilleries are owned and operated by women. And all we know Why it's been that? shown over and over that all industry benefits from diversity and so that is a, it's a story we're going to keep telling until yeah, we are seeing some to. more of an even playing field so and, and i think it's really interesting that you know women have moral factory cells more taste buds mm -hmm. like we can we can actually make better better booze we're built for this <laughs> that's right that's what's and happening. in fact historically women were the distillers like way back women distilled and men because would actually of because of well i think it was like part of the home mm. and men would seek out their wives based on their distilling techniques. So when did that change? I think I think as it became a, a not just a home moonshining kind of thing, but more of a industry. Um, I mean, the same could be said of chefs, right? I mean, it's the same. Absolutely, the same absolutely. Thing. Yes. Um, it's so interesting. I am a huge fan, um, and I'm so happy to have you as a friend. And I'm so happy that we get to do this in this town together because I believe with all of my heart that the more stories we can tell like this, we will get to uh, equity and a more equitable, fair playing field faster. So thank you for being on this journey with me. Oh, my pleasure. I couldn't <laughs> think of anyone I'd rather be journeying with, Michelle. So we should drink gin tonight, right? <laughs> Indeed. Can we do that? As most nights. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Jill, so much for being here. And thanks to your lovely team. Um, give them all my best and tell them to keep rocking it i mean truly amazing likewise to the nightwood gals thank you so thanks again to travel portland stream pdx and the julia child foundation for making our coverage of feast possible thanks to aaron parecki co-founder of stream pdx for being our sound engineer today thank you jill and thank you to all of you amazing women out there keep doing what you're doing that's how we're going to change this world cheers cheers